listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. So Jeff, today I want to do a debate style podcast. We're going to pick a topic. Well, actually, I've already picked the topic and I've sort of forced you to do it. And I want you to explain it and then I'm going to do my very best to kill it. <laughs> and well, you just opened up like like that was something different. <laughs> Good point. I didn't think about that. That's just, that's how we do every podcast. Okay, so you know what we need to add to radonpedal dot com. We need to add a scoreboard of who's right, who's wrong, who wins, who lost, <laughs> who won, lost. Yeah, that could be, yeah. That yeah. could be ugly. It could be very ugly. It could it could end up being a, a, a social media fight. <laughs> the, um, Facebook kissy trip. Well, well, here's the thing that's really important about that and, and where we're going to go, I think, here. Nobody ever knows when we jump on these these calls together. The market has a lot of different perspectives on a given issue or, or topic. And when we started Rattle and Pedal, the whole point was to highlight those those differences and beat it up and to understand you know, the upside and the downside of, of both approaches, you know, yours from a more traditional agency type of, <laughs> of, of view versus my kind of CMO view. And I mean, our views have evolved so much from those very narrow <laughs> descriptors. But I mean, that's that's the whole point. And I'm always smarter when I get done talking to you. That's a nice compliment. I think it's funny because, you know, the, the whole tagline of the podcast is divergent thinking. And there's times I wonder if we're trying to be divergent from the the mean or divergent from each other. And I think it's sort of both, of course. And I think that's what usually comes out. So so the topic that we're going to do this on is brand relevance. But before we jump in, I, I'm going to point our listeners to an episode in January 2019 talking about brand awareness. And that's where we first introduced the topic of brand relevance, which is a frame of reference you use. So to start us out, I actually want you just to kind of re-explain the concept of brand relevance for us so that when I, you know, when I tear it down and destroy it and it goes on the scoreboard that everybody can agree with me. So, you know, that's my goal. (laughs) (laughs) So brand relevance is, although I don't know if I said this on our podcast before, brand relevance is one of the three legs of the prudent pedal consulting model. Oh, good. I can actually destroy your model. That's even better. This is exciting. Now now I'm really motivated. (laughs) <laughs> so so brand relevance along with core capabilities and market opportunity are the three-legged stool of the prudent pedal stool or maybe as I like to say the three kind of positions of the pedal crank of the prudent pedal model. And and brand relevance in its most simplest term and and, and I have a blog on this we'll add to the to show notes as well is a measure of the firm's marketplace credibility and established credibility on solving a particular issue or demonstrating a certain capability or expertise. And I always hold out, you know, kind of McKinsey has very strong relevance in strategy, right? You would not think of them as having any relevance in accounting services because they're a strategy firm. In its most simplest terms, that's what brand relevance is. But I know we're going someplace 
scary now. <laughs> <laughs> that third leg is going to get whittled a little bit. No, it probably won't. Here's my thought. And this is oddly, I told you this the other day, this sort of came to me one morning as I was kind of just prepping for my day. Conceptually, I agree with the idea and I'm not necessarily saying that brand relevance is a bad thing. And, and the reason I think it's interesting is you said it's a measure of, of estimated, I think it was estimated credibility. And I think it's important to kind of highlight the, the term measure, but we'll come back to that. And my initial thought was that I feel like relevance has the potential to squash innovation, that some of the greatest, most innovative, most profitable, most successful business ventures we've seen in the last 20 years came from companies that entered spaces where they had zero relevance and really had no right to even be there. And my fear is that when you use this lens of relevance and you say that, uh, well, we're not relevant there, we should not go there, which I don't think is what you're ultimately saying, but that it squashes the ability for a firm or a company to explore a whole new zone where there is opportunity and they could absolutely play better than anybody else, even though they have no relevance. And I'll give a couple of kind of obviously broad consumer examples that are that are going to be fairly obvious. The first one would be Apple. And you think about Apple's move from being a computer company to being the most successful mobile music company in the world, right? And that giant catapult and leap that that brought that whole organization. They had no relevance in the music industry. They had no relevance in the portable device industry. They had no prior success in the portable device industry at the moment the iPod was released. Yet that massive leap is one of the greatest innovations that the company ever did. And, and it sort of catapulted everything that followed. It's example number one. Example number two is the one that and there's layers of this, but you look at Amazon, you think about Amazon, you could draw 30 from the, both these companies, but you think about Amazon's decision to start serving up streamed video content, streamed you know television and movies via Amazon Prime. And, I, and I've said before, the pairing of free package, or, or not free, but $100 a year free package delivery with streaming Mrs. Maisel makes absolutely no sense that those, those two things have no relationship to each other whatsoever. There is no relevance at all that you can possibly conjure to explain why Amazon was relevant to make that play. Yet the two things paired together are one of the most sticky consumer products I think I've ever seen. And they're brilliant and they make Prime a almost unassailable you know, thing to reckon with for every streaming company in existence and every delivery company in existence. So it's sort of like, and to me, you know, if someone was sat in a room and said, you know, well, you know, we'd like to enter this streaming service. Do we have relevance there? I can't imagine anybody saying, oh, we totally have relevance there because they had no relevance there, right? But of course, it's worked remarkably well. So I guess I'm sort of just kind of pointing a, a criticism at the model in the sense of that it could force you to avoid decisions that are great decisions where there is tremendous market opportunity, despite the fact you have no relevance and you should go there anyway. And I'll pause and let you criticize what I said. <laughs> well, you said you had several. Do you have a third? Um, I can throw out my own. Well, I can throw more from those examples as well, but I'll throw out my own. And I'll throw out one more because those are big type of examples. And I can speak to those, but do you have a third one that might be less visible or, you know, kind of headliners? Almost every small business, every professional services business, I mean, every business that goes through any pivotal moment of change probably is going to into a space where they have they have limited relevancy. 
And I could point to two examples for me. I mean, I think about like before I even entered the business back in the 90s when my dad ran it and it was a pure design firm doing, you know, mostly point of sale work for large consumer companies. And at some point, somebody in the firm said, hmm, this thing, the web looks pretty important. We need to do something here. And someone figured out how to build a website. They didn't have much, if any, relevance in sort of producing or designing web experiences, but they knew they needed to. So they sort of entered a new space where they had no experience. You know, the niche strategy that I laid out back in 2011 or whatever, when we went from being sort of what I would call a local generalist agency to a specialist professional services agency at the time, you know, we had limited relevance there. We had a handful of clients, mostly within our local geography we could pull from, but nobody outside of that geography had any clue who we were, nor any, maybe didn't even know who the clients we were leveraging to kind of open those relationships. So again, very little relevance but a decision had to be made and you had to move forward. And so to me, anytime you have those types of pivotal moments, you could even argue with the, the McKinsey example you give. Well, there was a moment when, yeah, McKinsey was a pure strategy firm. That's all they were known for. But they do tons of implementation work now. So at some point, mm -hmm. they went downstream mm -hmm. into implementation work. No relevance there, but went anyway, right? Because they had to. So, you know, no relevance in digital, but they went there anyway, right? So those are all examples of going into a space where you have no relevance. I mean, you have no relevance either in expertise or capabilities, but you're going there anyway because you have no choice or, or you think it's a big market opportunity anyway. And then, of course, your relevance changes, right? All of a sudden, your relevance looks totally different. I mean, our relevance now looks nothing like our relevance of 1985 or 1999 or whatever, right? And so you've now bent what you're, where, where you're relevant and how you're relevant. So. Mm -hmm. Those are great examples. Each one of those is excellent in its own way. So let me take a step back. Uh -oh, uh -oh. <laughs> hey, I haven't said that for a while. You're going to trip on the table, <laughs> three-legged table. And then come back to your examples. And I think the best way to kind of address your argument, if you will, is through the examples. So the first thing I would say is you are absolutely right. Okay. We're going to end the podcast right there. I'll keep going. Sorry. This concept can reduce innovation. It can threaten it and often does, but it doesn't have to. And I think this is why it's one of our three legs in the stool. To me, relevance, while it is a measure of established credibility around a an issue or, or, or capability is a very simple definition for it. Most firms, and I say most firms, don't understand brand relevance and how to define it. So I gave an example that to some degree ill-defined relevance. I said that McKinsey's relevance is in strategy, not accounting. Right. And most people would agree with me. When you think of McKinsey, you think strategy. But when I think of relevance and how it's baked in to our strategy work, I think of it in more in terms of permission to play. Where do you have permission to play based on your past performance and your client relationships? So do you understand what I'm saying? Well, I totally understand. And I, but I think the interesting question about permission to play is that in some of those examples, we just did an episode on research. You'd have been hard pressed to run a, a focus group and get someone to say, yeah, I totally think Amazon should be producing original movies and original shows. You would have been hard pressed to find anybody anywhere that would have said, yeah, they totally should do that. that that's totally, they have permission to play there kind of, you know, from their 
lens as a consumer, right? Yet mm-hmm. one of the most successful businesses, business combinations I've ever seen, right? So anyway, I, I think the answer is in your model, to be honest with you. And that's why I kind of said, mm-hmm. as soon as you came out of the gate and said, it's a measure of estimated credibility, that makes your model so critical. And I, and I hate to say this, and this actually pains me to say this. And it, this hurts me in my soul, Jeff. You don't understand. Prudence. Oh God, so I spit it out. Sorry. But I, I, I think what you're saying and where I hear you playing it is saying, well, if you have no permission to play there or no perceived permission to play there, then going there, if the market opportunity is big enough anyway, and you choose to go there anyway, it's probably going to be a little more difficult and costly venture for you <laughs> than it would have been otherwise. And that's sort of why I think your three-legged stool makes a ton of sense because all of a sudden it says, well, it factors into your prudent decision-making model, which is that you know if you don't think about that notion of relevance, then you're going to radically misunderstand the cost and the ability of your organization to go pursue that opportunity if you think it's there. I guess you are right in that regard, that it's a piece of the picture that needs to be factored in in order to make good decisions. It is. But I I think you're spot on that if you get hung up, whether you use the term or not, on your brand's relevant and you've too narrowly defined it or even worse, misdefined it, you run into problems. So if you look at a firm like Amazon, you might argue their brand relevance out of the gate was online book sales. Would you agree? Absolutely. Okay. They didn't define themselves as books.com or books online. They define themselves as Amazon, you know, wide open, empty vessel to fill with all kinds of brand meaning, if you will. And the the strategy when when Bezos set that up was, hey, we're not going to be profitable for for a decade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. if ever. Remember the expectation? But you would say, all right, they're relevant in books right now. You could expand out and say, hey, we're going to sell magazines or we're going to sell newspapers or, you know, some other types of written content or book related stuff. Maybe you might argue they could move into publishing and have more of a vertically controlled distribution chain. Those would be all intuitive and make perfect sense. And that would be consistent with a book seller's relevant. But when they set out, I don't think they ever set out to be an online book sales company. It was always a much broader vision of that. And the brand's relevance well, it may have started out around books, was really about customer experience, inventory control, and distribution network. And in that case, you know, they had those core capabilities, but because the online experience was was so good, the brand had a much wider brand relevance in adding additional products to that distribution. You know, they didn't go from books straight to dog food or or toilet paper or something like that. There was something intuitive to it. But when they went to web services, you might have said, whoa, now that's that's out of left field, right? You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. 
Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. Well, and that's and that was kind of going to be my next comment is I think that, you know, that's a really pivotal moment in the company's evolution. And it's one, I'm not an Amazon expert, but that I think is really interesting to look at in this lens because when Amazon built or when Bezos built that company from the beginning, like you said, he had a much broader vision. He just he just recognized that books were a very easy entry point for e-commerce. And he knew that and he knew he was going to expand beyond that. But Amazon Web Services came out of nowhere for them. When, when it did, it did. But Actually, did it? if you read the history on this, it was like they woke up one day and realized that, holy cow, we are really good at managing these broad you know, web systems and better than anybody. And holy cow, we could sell this B2B. And it was not at all. It was literally just sort of fell. It just sort of like they suddenly woke up one day and had this realization that Holy cow. And, and and by the way, I would argue that they have no real relevancy there. I mean, if you were thinking of cloud computing companies at that point in time, it's not going to be them, right? It's going to be like Microsoft and whoever else. And so then they they went on that and then and then AWS became really one of their biggest, most profitable businesses. It's a really fascinating moment mm-hmm. in that company's history when that actually happened, when it was like just, you know, again, huge marketplace opportunity. They saw it. Probably knew they didn't have any brand relevancy if they were using that frame of reference, but went anyway, because they knew that they could be successful there regardless, because they were so good at it, right? They were just, like, you know, they were just better at it than pretty much all the existing incumbent players. So it didn't matter, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's a really fascinating piece of history in that company. So you hit the nail on the head and they clearly understood their core capabilities. They said, wow, because we do this for ourselves, managing these servers and all this inventory, that's a core capability for us. And they decided there probably is an opportunity here, right? What's the market opportunity? So the question then becomes, how can we position the brand to be relevant in that space? So if you think about that, because the market would recognize their leadership and prowess around using the technology themselves, they would have permission, relevance around a technology product. Now, you would say it's not going to be the same as IBM or Oracle or, you know, any other pure tech company, but they have enough to get started. So now they have to think about, well, who specifically in this market makes sense for us to pursue and what would it take to build our relevance around that? And I think at that point, when you start to bring the distribution network in, the types of people that would need to lease server space, how you can begin to segment the market and then create that offer for it becomes a lot lot easier um, to build the relevance and and go attack it. So it makes it to me, it just makes perfect sense, even though, even though, and you said this, and I think this is a really good point, Jason, it was serendipitous. I, I, I they stumbled I, into I, I, it. I, that's how I recall reading the history on that line of business. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty okay. confident that that is an accurate statement. But some of the best yeah. ideas come from that way. You know, the what ifs. And when you when you take a step back from a strategy perspective and you say, well, we have these capabilities, where else can we take those capabilities? It opens up an incredible opportunity. I remember when I was at Towers Parent, 
you know, they define themselves as actuaries of divine benefits programs, right? They were pension actuaries. That's where they got their their core. And then they pivoted, well, if we're in, you know, these pensions, we can make a, a logical extension based on our relevance into other employee areas, which to me is kind of incremental, but it, but it makes sense. I always thought Towers Perrin's core capability was they were the numbers people. And when you have that much actuarial horsepower, why wouldn't you pivot into other markets that require actuarial power? And if they had pivoted earlier, can you imagine what a Towers Perrin could have done in data analysis and data science? I mean, it's a 180 degree difference, but it's the same core capability. I'll tell a quick personal story. But, but but you know, I was a math major in college and I came out of undergrad with a math major. And the funny thing is, mid 90s math major, nobody wanted anything to do with you. There was no interest in hiring a math major. I mean, most people I would talk to about for jobs were like, you need to get like some business classes or something. Like they had, they had no clue how to use that skill set in their business. And isn't that funny? I mean, we laugh, but it's like nowadays it's like, I mean, tripping over themselves to get anybody with analytical skills into their business, right? And it's just funny how, mm-hmm. how much that has shifted in the last 25 years. So I don't know, it's a random story, but I just think it was really just really fascinating that that, and that's probably why they didn't see that, right? You know, the, the thing that in hindsight was a, an obvious huge market opportunity, nobody was <laughs> able to even see from a hiring perspective, let alone like a market opportunity perspective, right? And you know why professional services have such a hard time with that? Because they define themselves in terms of practices and they think short term about hitting their number. Yeah, I would also lump on that that so much of the business is defined by the relationships they have. And so, you know, a lot of the positioning decisions are, mm-hmm. are extensions of, well, who have we worked with before and what did we do for them before? So it's always a backward looking view versus a forward looking view. You know, like you said, I mean, the Amazon example, you know, if Amazon dug through their database and looked at their their historical revenue trends, they never would have entered the web services market in a million years because they had no revenue there. <laughs> There's no past experience there whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't how they looked at it. Right? Whereas, you know, there's a market mm-hmm. opportunity here that we're not we're not capturing, and let's go go after it. And I think that's. I mean, maybe in closing, you know, I endeavored to tear down the leg of your model. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, I want to add one more thing because I think it's really relevant to our our listeners. You just said it. And I talk about this, we'll put a a link in the show notes to this on reinventing the firm, is that the relationships that they have are long-term trusting relationships. And it does blind them to the opportunities that exist, even though they may talk about Mm -hmm. cross-selling and and stuff like that, they do get hung up with a particular buyer. Well, all of those buyers, and we talked about this in the ideal client too, share your world perspective, right? So you're not going to get some breakthrough thinking from an existing client who sees the world the way you see it. And the key to taking advantage of, of the innovation, as you just described, is being attentive to changes in those relationships. So for example, if the buyers who are buying your traditional products, all of a sudden our services begin to change, that's a telltale sign that you should be re-examining your core capabilities and your market focus and where you need to be pivoting into some other solutions and building relevance around that. And almost every prospect and client I've ever talked to 
comes to that point and they're looking backwards instead of forward. So I love that you hit on that relationship because in professional services, the partners carry the weight, they carry the relationships. And you've said this brilliantly before too, they have a very small sample of the market Mm-hmm. that they put too much credence into. Well, yeah, no, agree 100%. Well, I don't think we ended up, we didn't break the stool. The three-legged stool still stands. My attempt to destroy it was <laughs> was made in vain, but definitely I think it just reinforced the idea of using that as a piece of your decision-making process. And, and that's why I'll admit defeat today, but having lost the battle and not to lose the war, I don't even know what that means. it was fun i'll talk to you next week Uh, that's funny see ya all right buddy have a good one thank you for listening to rattle and pedal divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com rattle and pedal is also available on itunes and stitcher 